We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast powered by Twisted Tea. Today we have Super Talk, Do It All Man, Sports Talk Mississippi, Michael Borky on the show. We always check in with him around the halfway point of college football season. Came at a perfect time this week, bye week. So we got into a lot of big picture stuff about. Ole Miss's season through six games, same with Mississippi State, the state of the SEC, a potential, potential look at what the four-team college football playoff might look like, and also a little bit of a preview of uh, Ole Miss-Auburn, maybe some of the uh, media antics that might or might not happen as game week gets heated up on that next week. So buckle up. I think you'll really enjoy the college football conversation. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to take a quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Seaspire. Time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves with best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning, local, based out of the Southeast with industry low call wait time. Seaspire provides 1 gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and Southern Alabama regions. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new 2 gigabit and 8 gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com slash home today and use promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and you'll get one month of free service. So you get a free month of internet service and the best internet service in the market just for listening to this podcast. How about that? Check them out. Seaspire, customer inspired. This podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked that the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. If you're a Skybox member, you went 11-4 and four on NFL picks over the weekend, plus 8.5 units. Some of you out there who didn't use Skybox, probably hurting in the wallet, probably hurting in the old Venmo account, having to pay the man. You should sign up to Skybox Sports Picks today. Go online, find a picks package within your price range. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. You can try NFL. You can try college. You can try all the sports. I recommend going with a year-long all-access pass because you will make every year a profitable one with Skybox. You don't want to lose money this football season. Maybe we're a month and a half into this. Maybe you're already in a little bit of a hole. Use Skybox to help you pull out of it. They are the professionals. They're 
Picks are based on data and modeling, not leans five minutes before kickoff. They'll send you picks in a nice color-coded spreadsheet, and boom, you're more equipped to profit than you were before signing up for Skybox. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and that'll get you 20% off any purchase. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. All right, here's Borky. All right, we now welcome on Super Talk, Do It All Man, Sports Talk, Mississippi, 3 to 6, Monday through Friday, Michael Borky. I always feel like we just had you on the podcast, and I looked up, and I was like, actually, it's been since July. We usually check in around the halfway mark. Really? July? July. Yeah. It may have been early wow. August, but we had not done one since, like, I think I checked in with you when you were at SEC Media Days. That was the last right. one. I usually hit you up more yep. often. Well, what does that say about me, then? You I think just, it says you, you that- You kind of just told on yourself there. <laughs> I think it says that I've been- uh, Filled up with more random guests this year. And thank God to Denson Hollis and Javon Patterson and all those guys at the Letterman's Lounge. I've not been scrambling to get guests each week. Instead, I've been just filled with an influx of former players, which has been great. The one hang up with that is when they give me older players, you would be shocked when you're trying to do your research for an interview. Guys from like 05 and earlier, not a whole lot out there on the internet. So you're kind of flying blind a little bit. And that's been something I've had to navigate a little bit, but it's been good, a good experience. And then, you know, mix in a news anchor or two in there, I guess. Yeah, I hear you. Well, uh, I'm glad to be back. And right before we hit record, I mean, the realization that football season's halfway over. I know. So, you say that, and it's not exactly true because it's an off week. You know, there's 13 weeks, and then there's conference championships and bowl games and the NFL and stuff. But, yeah, Ole Miss has played one half of their games this season, and that's depressing. It doesn't feel like it's halfway done. It's just a sports thing in general. You know, I uh, so I live up here in Oxford now. I was by myself for the first last year's football season. My fiancé has since moved to Oxford and moved in but like living by myself i just come home and you know do the podcast or whatever i needed to do and then just like flip on everything i got like a little bit more stuff going on a little busier at work and like i looked up i guess it was monday or so and i was like damn like the the nl division series are like almost over like this is my favorite yeah. time of year and i don't feel like i've consumed enough of it i like felt bad for not you know mindlessly watching tv enough uh, it goes by fast, man, but this is my absolute favorite time of the year. It's like this and March Madness, I think, are my favorite times, coupled with college baseball. But I mean, when you got playoff baseball on the weeknights, you got college football. It's just an awesome time of the year. Weather was cooler last week, but it goes by so fast, I never feel like I fully appreciate it. Yeah, me either. And, and we're finally getting some rain. Like I, I spent last weekend at the Sanderson Farm, or this, I guess this past weekend at the Sanderson Farms Championship, uh, bought one too many uh, $14 seltzers Love that. on Saturday, but I powered through on Sunday and still had a good time. Watched the Saints out there. And it, yeah, excellent time of year. The best time of year. Unless, you know, you're a Saints fan, although we did win on Sunday. But we kind of suck. Um, Yeah, otherwise it's good. We'll sidebar to the Sanderson for a second. I've not been able to go to the Sanderson for the last three years. The last two years has been on a home football weekend. Living in Oxford makes it a little bit tougher. Can't really get off work. 2021, my asshole buddy decides to get married in Sea Island during football season. If you're listening out there, Baxter, still not over that one. Um, so I haven't been in quite a while, but it's one of my favorite places to go, like literally sports calendar-wise, 
of all time. I just love that tournament. I hope it it's I know its future is a little uncertain. I hope it continues to be, but seeing that tournament to grow from, you know, the off series event at Annandale opposite of the British Open into what it's become, it's just been really awesome and I hate I hadn't gotten down there, but man, weather was cool. Or it looked just like a perfect Sanderson weekend last week. Man, I had like a light quarter zip on in shorts the whole time and was never not comfortable. I I'm with you. I, I hope it sticks around. I know that that golf is going through a lot. And then now, I mean, not to turn this political, but now that you've got what's going on in Israel going on and the soon to be owner of all of professional golf is releasing statements that are very counter to the position of the United States of, I mean, it, professional golf is honestly, it sucks to follow right now. I, I was uh, talking to somebody on Thursday, I went out there Thursday and, and was following uh, Kevin Kisner for a little bit. And there was just a, another guy out there following him too. He was a golf fan, you know, got out of work to go see Kisner play. And, you know, we were talking about that because he kind of looked around and said, you know, there's not really a whole lot of people out there or out here. I was like, it's Thursday in a fall swing. You're probably not going to get many people at many Thursday fall swings anyway, especially with a field like this. But that sparked a conversation of following professional golf sucks right now. It sucks. The Ryder Cup sucked. The, the discourse around the Ryder Cup sucked. And the, the the personalities on the American team, not really good. You know, Max Homa's great, and everybody loves Max Homa. But Cantlay is hard to root for, regardless if the hat story is is true or not. You, you've got the, the Saudis buying everything, and then these everything's up up in the air. And then Liv doesn't get their world golf ranking. And Shipnote's got another book out where Justin Thomas is mad at it. And it's just... The sport used to be about the sport, and it hasn't been for quite some time. And I, I don't know if that affected uh, attendance or not this past weekend. Ole Miss and State both played at home. That's a much bigger factor on a not a you know not a marquee field fall swing event. But it is a hard sport to consume at the moment, and I imagine the people at the Sanderson Farms are really not thrilled at the the goings on around the sport when they're trying to get people to show up to their off-calendar event yeah it sucks because i mean it's steve jen and those guys that run the tournament have done a tremendous job turning the tournament into what it is today and like you know it honestly kind of peaked as, as as unlikable as the guy is sergio garcia wins that thing during covid and you're like man this is this is made it this is a full-fledged event you and mentioned then burns like, won what the next year yeah and it's like, you know, back then, like, you know, the fall series, it wasn't the fall series. It was just the start of the PGA Tour calendar. It's like, yeah, a ton of the major guys don't really play a ton in the fall, but you still got a ton. They had a ton of top 50 golfers. And then now it's like, all right, what exactly is this? And I was actually asking asking Hayden Buckley about this when I ran into him in Memphis at the FedEx Cup playoff event. It's like, what is the fall? Like, it's like you're, you're the guys that are like made the top 125 are like gaining better status for like the real start of the new calendar. Now it's like in this tweener times and it kind of reverted me back to like when the Sanderson farms, Viking classic, whatever it was before that uh, Southern farm bureau was like a fall off series event. And I feel like it's trending that way again, which is a shame because it's a great event and you're right. Just the state of golf just kind of sucks. I mean, the, the U.S. Ryder Cup team was like one of the most likable teams of all time in 2021 or whenever it was yeah. the last time they played one. Shotgunning beers, beating the hell out of Europe. And then it just devolved into, you know, Cantley won't wear a hat. Xander Shoffley's had a dispute over this. It's like, dude, what are we doing? This is supposed to be the one event that's like not about money. It's like you play for your country and it's yeah. awesome and it's now about money. And it's kind of the trend that everywhere in pro golf is going with that said the Sanderson still had a pretty awesome finish you know that five-way playoff first time in a while 
I was rooting for Ben Griffin. He's an awesome story. He was basically out of money, was literally a loan officer for a year. And they were like, you know, I give it one more try, get his tour card from the Corn Ferry Tour, and then made like 1.6 million last year. It's like, that's why golf is relatable. But we get less and less of that and more of this just utter bullshit instead, which is a shame. That that poor guy... I mean, he choked it away. Oh, he, he absolutely choked it away. I felt terrible for him because he, he was a nice follow. Uh, so, it, like you said, it's such a well-run tournament. Uh, the, the people do such a good job there. And, you know, they have our show out there uh, for for a live show during the week. So, of course, like, I'm, I'm going to talk it up. But if we didn't do that, if we had no affiliation, I'd still spend time out there and tell people to because th- there's really – Brant Snedeker hit his tee shot within two feet of my feet, and I got to stand there, and he walked right up in front of me, and I got to hear he and his caddy's conversation on, uh, is it eight? Or is it five? The par five, long par five, uh, five. with water on the left, five. And I got to hear, clear as day, he and his caddy talking about you know what to do, the number, the win, all that stuff. I got to hear every word of it, and he hit a shot and said, hey, thanks for coming, and walked away. And it's like, if I had an eight-year-old with me right now, that would make his his whole week just having that interaction. And, I mean, everything's efficient and well-run, and it's really cool being there and and all of that stuff. Uh, I, I just – I enjoy the hell out of it and, and love being there. But Saturday, especially with Griffin, um, later in the afternoon, the crowd just disappeared. And my assumption was, well, because Ole Miss kicks off here in about 45 minutes. So <laughs> there's a lot of people there early in the day. And then as it got closer to kickoff time, of course, just mass exodus. Everybody just left. And so I got to follow Griffin and his caddy really closely um, and like up against him for the last few holes of, of the round. And they seemed like caddy was a nice guy. Uh, Griffin acknowledged people around. Like they seemed like really good people and really nice people. I have no idea if they are or, or if they're not, but Seeing him choke that away was was really sad, honestly, because uh, I kind of felt emotionally invested in, in his journey at uh, at that point. Carl dunked his second shot on seventeen on the on the 71st hole. I was standing right greenside, so that happened right in front of me when Carl dunked it, and we thought we were going to get the uh, the mega playoff with six guys, and then um, oh, I forgot who it was uh, that that bogeyed eighteen uh, to to not get in, but still, I mean, great finish. Um, Good enough names, I think, to keep people engaged uh, through the course of the weekend, and then you got drama at the end. I loved it. I had a great time. I drank a lot of beers. I uh, bought the tumbler and did the tumbler thing on fourteen or on okay. thirteen, and nobody hit it close on Sunday. And, like we got like one refill of the tumbler the entire day, but yeah, man, it was a lot of fun. And I, I, I'm glad I went, and I just I hope that they are able to hang on to it, and I hope the Saudis don't get rid of it. Me too. It's a big enough event, plenty big enough, still big enough names considering what it once was, and I hope it certainly returns to that one day. Football-wise, you mentioned we're halfway through the football season. Ole Miss sits at 5-1, and one, entering the uh, second half of their season. I would say pretty well-timed by week, to say the least. Um, you know, Ole Miss – had dealt with a lot of preseason injuries, uh, particularly on the offensive side of the football, stayed relatively healthy on the defensive side. We'll get to the Watkins thing that happened today as we recorded this on a Wednesday night in a second. But like you get Dart banged up a little bit, which is kind of when this happens, right? Your quarterback takes a shot the sixth game of the season on a run. Trey Harris dings something else up. Sounds like they'll both be fine for Auburn. But man, if you're all Miss, that Alabama disappointment aside, you kind of have to like the position they're in for the remainder of this season. You get a week to kind of take a breath, 
get a little bit healthy before you go into it. You know what is going to be a house of horrors against an Auburn team that I'm not sure is very good, but they're just in a great spot. And I'm not sure how many Ole Miss teams at the halfway point of the season have entered a bye week where it's like, hey, we're all good. There's not a ton of problems here. Yeah, and they've faced a lot of adversity, and the schedule is one that has actually tested them. So uh, a lot of, I say a lot, not many actually, but we've gotten some texts on the show of people drawing parallels to last year's team as well. Well, you guys thought Ole Miss was good last year, and look at what happened, and that's such a false equivalence. It's hard to even take those kind of things seriously, but uh, they've been tested this year. I, I mean, flashback seven weeks ago, if I told you Ole Miss is 5-1, and one, not, not only are they 5-1, and one, but they are 5-1 and one where their best wide receiver missed time. At this point, their only tight end missed time. And Dark got banged up in the second play of the Arkansas game. And they ended all of that at 5-1. and one. What would you have said? You take it. Absolutely you take it. I mean, you would take it without the injury luck. And, and they've had uh, they've had bad injury luck uh, uh, paired with that. I am... Uh, I've been really impressed with how a lot of things, you mentioned the Alabama game, that aside, how this season has gone, particularly a couple of things. Uh, fourth quarter play is really, it stands out to me a lot because as everybody's already pointed out by now, Ole Miss has already scored more fourth quarter points than they did in all 13 games last year. Wow, so I did not know six, that stat. That's why through, through six games, they've scored more points in the fourth quarter than in all of last year. And even better, they have only this year through six games scored one fewer point in the fourth quarter than the first quarter. So remember in 2021, or excuse me, 2022, they would get out hot, the script would be good, they would score, and then boom, they would hit a wall. And for whatever reason, the second half especially of games, they would crumble. I mean, even... The Troy game, they got out to a hot start and could not score in the second half. Baton Rouge, on and on. I mean, all season, it was, I say narrative, but it was true. They they could not score in the second half. This team can. And defensively, they are really good in the second half as well. In four drives in the LSU game, all everybody listening to this knows this by now, but they got three stops. They were getting, I mean, just walloped on defense, up and down the field, Daniels was throwing just beautiful passes. They were getting run on. They couldn't cover. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't tackle. They were committing penalties. And then the fourth quarter, they get three stops when they need to. And in the Arkansas game, they, they were good defensively for the entire game. But they run for over 100 yards in the fourth quarter with an injured quarterback. Their best wide receiver was out. And they just lined up and ran the football right at Arkansas. And so this team... Figuring it out late. They did it with Tulane. They, they did it offensively in the second half with Georgia Tech. And that now they've done it with LSU and they've done it with Arkansas. To me, speaks to a lot of things. I think most importantly, it speaks to coaching. Both Lane Kiffin and the addition of Pete Golding. They are doing something right, clearly. It speaks to team leadership and maturity at the most important position on the field. And something that I brought up on the show, and Richard kind of made fun of me, uh, but I, I would... I think you're kind of crazy not to think, you know, maybe strength and conditioning at Ole Miss is, is really good. Uh, because, again, they lined up and ran for over 100 yards against Arkansas in the fourth quarter. That's an SEC West team. They were more physical than LSU in the fourth quarter. Ole Miss's defensive front was more physical than LSU in the fourth quarter of that game. Maybe Savage is is really good and, and this team is conditioned and, and well-prepared physically 
to play four quarters of football. I don't know if anybody else has brought that up. Maybe I'm kind of goofy for saying that, but second half, specifically fourth quarter Ole Miss this year is the most impressive thing about this team. They have found ways to win games where they weren't playing well because they figured it out in the most important quarter of the game. So it's a good point. Like everyone wants to just shit on the strength and conditioning stuff when it's bad. It's like, oh, these guys, they're way down in the fourth quarter. They're not strong. Who's our strength and conditioning guy? Like it reminds me of the special teams coach take, like when things aren't going well, it's like you screw up on special teams. Like who's even coaching that position? It's like, well, no one actually knows. And, you know, Ole Miss had a very good strength coach for the first year at Kiffin and Wilson Love, very highly coveted. Um, then Savage comes in to replace him. You don't hear a lot about it. I don't know uh, how good of a bad or job he did last year. It's just kind of one of those things you don't really think about. But I think you're right. And I think part of it, too, is the fact that they're rotating more guys on defense. Like Rebel Grove does snap counts every week. And you look at the snap counts and, you know, non-secondary guys, your front seven guys are playing, you know, maybe a little over half the snaps. Sometimes it just depends on the guy. But if you juxtapose that to last year where it's like, you know, if Ole Miss played 75 snaps on defense, pretty much everyone on the defensive line is going to be in the high 60s. <laughs> pretty much all the linebackers are going to be high 60s, low 70s. Like, I think that's made a difference. And I wrote about this the other night. It's like, I think that's actually probably made a little bit of difference. And while they have a cleaner bill of health than you might have thought they would have through six games, you know, knock on wood, they haven't had very many major injuries on the defensive side of the football. I say that probably any major injuries, probably some guys dinged up or whatever, but that has to contribute to that as well. They're probably in better shape. They seemingly have found more depth and it's working out for them. And it's almost like that's what the good teams do. And, you know, if you're not good and you're not deep, you can really kind of smoke and mirrors this thing for five, six games. But when you get into the heart of October and November and guys start dropping and things start dropping off. Remember last year, Cedric Johnson was hurt in the LSU game. He played, but it was like, man, this guy is just limping out there. I can't remember if like Ashanti Sistrunk got hurt or he got tossed from the game or something like that. But they lost a linebacker in that LSU game, if my memory serves me correct. It's like, they just don't have a whole hell of a lot else here. That's not really the case this year. And as they kind of have shifted this recruiting focus more toward high school kids, you got to give them credit for being able to, as Kiffin has theorized, find a bit of depth in the portal. They just have a lot of athletic guys that can play around, around the line of scrimmage and do a lot of different things from Tennyson, from going linebacker to safety. My God, he's a, he's a pass rushing wizard when he kind of gets the right angle and all that. Kari Coleman's very fast. They close on the ball very well. And they just found a lot of dudes and they've made it work on the front seven, particularly on defense. And I think they deserve some credit for that because that wasn't the case a year ago. And honestly, I'm not actually sure if I actually believed that they had more depth this year as much as they wanted to tout it in the preseason, but they do, they were right. Yeah. And it feels like they are uh, getting the most out of their personnel. Look, I, I think that, which Golding um, deserves immense credit for. No, no, but he sucks. Remember, he's terrible. I just he is so bad. That's why Nick Saban kept him on staff for five years. He, he's yeah, exactly terrible. Yeah, not good you know, though. Just the worst. But um, and what's so interesting about the the defense? It is a new system, a far more complex system than the one they were running for the returning guys. But I mean, how many guys are playing significant snaps that join the team in May? I, I mean, you had a bunch of late additions to this football team, and you know Kiffin talked about it at media days and in the off season. And he had a good read on his team. He talked about how, how close and together they felt. And I would love to know how that happened, whether it was just kind of organic where this group of guys that they brought in or a little bit more mature, or maybe they learned from last year or, or what, because they've been through the shit. Forgive my language, everybody. Sorry. Uh, but they, they've been, they went through it. They, 
I don't think Jackson Dart was wrong when he said that 2022 Ole Miss loses the Tulane game. They definitely lose the LSU game, and they probably lose the Arkansas game. So you, you've got this, this group of guys on defense that are certainly not perfect. They are statistically average or below average in most categories anyway. Now, they force turnovers, they get sacks, and they get tackles for loss. So they create havoc and they turn the football over. You'll take that. But it's a, a group of guys that are just kind of thrown together. They lack high-end talent at, a, I mean, a few spots, honestly. And yet, they produce for the most part. Relative to expectations anyway. They have exceeded what I expected them to be. They're they're better at creating turnovers. They're better on the defensive line than I expected them to be. Are they great? No. But they do a lot of things well. And they beat Arkansas because of that. And without the stops against LSU, they lose that game too. So Golding deserves credit. I assume Kiffin as well was involved in the evaluation of, of players on his roster. So he deserves credit too. But like Randall Joyner and these guys, linebacker play is, is good. I mean, they're slow in spots. They're lacking athletes in spots. But, man, I, I'm very impressed with what they have done considering the position that they were in a few months ago. And chemistry-wise, like I've, I've kind of hypothesized over the last couple of weeks that maybe Lane Kiffin and the coaching staff learned a little bit of a lesson about how last year ended, right? It's a bunch of portal guys. They had tremendous success with the few portal guys they had in 2021, right? Jay, uh, Springer, awesome. Uh, Chance Campbell, awesome. I know Mark Robinson wasn't like a plug-and-play transfer guy, but hey, it worked out. He was like a former running back at SEMO. And then last year, when things kind of hit the fan, and look, I, I don't want to revise history here. A lot of that goes on Kiffin and the way the Auburn thing was handled, but that's not really the conversation we're going to have today. They crumbled when adversity hit, right? They didn't really respond well after the Alabama game, and things really took a slide in the second half of the season. And I just wonder if they learned any sort of lessons about recruiting in the portal. And of course, you want to get the most talent possible, but also maybe the right kids with the right attitude and the right mindset. And part of the reason I say that is, um, you know, one thing is my close buddy, Michael Portner, now my neighbor is, you know, doing his agency thing here in Oxford. Now he's in on some of these kids. I won't really go into like specifics, but I've met a handful of these kids a couple of times, whether it's I mean, Isaac Uku, I'll give you an example, is one of them. Very mature guy, six-year player from um, James Madison, very smart human being, very a pleasure to talk to. Jeremiah Jean-Baptiste is just like the most all-American kid possible, has a great family as well. Very smart individual, very thoughtful. And again, Jared Ivey, not in this category, but I did like a Grove Collective interview, Jared Ivey. He's now my fiance's favorite player because we were sitting there in her kitchen as we did the Grove Collective interview. And he has a great story and he's very articulate. And he talked about kind of how much his family meant to him and how he's a late bloomer and all that. And like Darius Tennyson was an awesome kid too. I don't know Cedric Johnson at all. Weldon swears by him, but it just seems like they have a lot of really good dudes who seem to like each other. And I know it's easy to say what Kiffin said after arguably the most important win of his Ole Miss career uh, in the post game against LSU, but it does seem like he thinks he has a good group of guys in that locker room that seemingly like each other a lot. And as tough as chemistry is to build when you just stick these random rosters together on a year-by-year basis, it seems like they've got a lot of mature guys from Prescorn and all the other guys I listed on that just are kind of adults and know how to get along with other people. And, you know, we're not selfish and buying. Honestly, the most selfish kid on the team they already got rid of. 
So it just seems like they have a lot of guys that kind of get it. And I think that part cannot be understated enough because you saw last year when the chemistry wasn't as strong, what happened when adversity hit. And a quarterback that uh, seemingly, uh, you know, I'm not in the locker room. It appears that Jackson Dart has the attention of every single player on that team. Uh, And, you know, the adversity piece, right? So they lose to Alabama and and it was a highly criticized loss. They took a lot of heat for that loss and honestly, deservedly so. They did not play well that day. They didn't coach well that day. They didn't play well that day. And they were down two scores midway through the fourth quarter. What, what was it? Seven minutes to go, over seven minutes to go. They were down nine, facing a third and long. And they won the game. I, I mean, so you, you have everything that happened last year and how it happened. You're down two scores, and it's third and long, midway through the fourth quarter. And they found a way to win that football game. Uh, th- that, you know, the, the excitement around the LSU win and, and Trey Harris's touchdown at the end, and should he or should he not have gone down and stormed the field and all that got lost in their win percentage in that moment was basically nothing. And they found a way to do it. And so when you look forward on the schedule, I think them going through all of that and not putting a complete game together and not having pre-scorn and not having Hudson Wolf either for what it's worth, because now I guess he's going to be the backup tight end when he returns, which is possibly Auburn, if the timeline matches up anyway. So not having pre-scorn, Harris missed time. All this stuff happened to this team. They were down in New Orleans. They got beat by Alabama, and everybody kind of talks shit about them afterwards. They're down two scores to LSU and win. They're down in the fourth quarter to Arkansas, and they win. And now they go to the bye week with a chance to get healthy-ish uh, with respect to Jordan Watkins. I'm sure we'll get to that. I know people are worried about Auburn, and I know it's going to be a buzzsaw. But do you think that they are at all going to be intimidated whatsoever if it's a loud environment in a big game and it's close for a while? I mean, that, that's just another game to them. I don't know. The, the fact that they have been battle-tested multiple weeks going into this bye week, I look at Auburn and I look at Texas A&M as games like, you know, if it if it gets weird, if it gets close or whatever, if they turn it over, if they're down in the fourth, I still like their chances to win those games. They seem so mentally strong, and they've proven that they are. Uh, I don't think the Auburn and the Hugh Freeze and stuff, I don't think that's going to bother them. There's no reason to think that it will. We'll get back to Michael Borky in just a second, but before we do, I wanted to take a quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other hard beverage you've ever had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up on any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate your game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experience. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg if you're Rippy Wright subscriber. That's rippywrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me and discounted meats. Right now it's three six ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. It's about a $40 evaluation you're getting there for $20. Just go in. 
Show Greg proof of subscription. Tell him you know about the Rippy Rights newsletter. He'll get you set up and then go find all of your own favorites. It's the greatest butcher shop in the world. Incredible cuts of meat. I love the filet burgers, all kinds of delicious sausages. The tri-tip is incredible. It's truly a gem of Oxford and a gem of the South. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, back to Borky. I agree with that, too. The thing I'm fascinated about as we sit here on the Wednesday of the bye week is as the, you know, we get past Saturday and it really start on Sunday and the week of the game starts ramping up. Does Kiffin turn this into like an Alabama light week? I don't think the way Kiffin handled media not. the week of Alabama caused Ole Miss to lose the game by any stretch. Like, don't mistake me there. But clearly he's treated that game differently since he's been at Ole Miss. And <laughs> I'll dance around this lightly. I think this uh, Auburn thing has a chance <laughs> To get that way for a number of reasons that are different than the Alabama saving one, but also similar in some senses. That's like, I'm curious to see what that goes like. I agree with you. I don't think this team will be phased. They played their best football with their backup against the wall in the fourth quarter. And I don't really think Auburn's good enough to beat Ole Miss. Now, does that mean Auburn cannot beat Ole Miss? Of course it doesn't. Could that game get weird? and Dart has a turnover early, and then they kind of start reeling in the middle of the game and it's too late to catch up. Yeah, sure. But like if Ole Miss goes out, like you mentioned, and plays the way it is played, particularly in the second half of the last you know two games, and really for the most part of the Alabama game, every half, it's, second half it's played this year, they should win that game and it should be fine. So like I'm less worried about, like the I would say, the team's mindset and their ability to get phased than I am if it becomes a circus and the game gets weird earlier. And I know that's like a bunch of abstract stuff that doesn't make a ton yeah. of sense. But to your point, if there's a team that's equipped to handle that environment and not completely shrink if things go wrong early, I think it's this one, which I think will be a huge advantage because at the end of the day, Auburn's not very good. They can't score. I think Hugh Freeze is going to end up doing well there. I think he's going to recruit well. He's going to get guys in on offense. But man, with that quarterback situation, they just don't have a lot of weapons. And so if Ole Miss loses, it will be a tremendous piss down their own leg situation. Auburn will not have gone out and won that football game. Yeah, I mean, Hugh Freeze already hates his offensive coordinator, which I hope you had that as your free space on your bingo card. Wait, I missed this. What did he do? Oh, he just he has publicly uh, questioned play calling and Philip Montgomery, like very openly uh, does not like how they've approached things offensively. So yeah. that's why he took over the play calling against Georgia, and uh, it was so much better. But no, oh it, God. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, they're really, really, really bad at quarterback. What, what I would, if Lane Kiffin were to listen to me, and and he won't. Um, I have a feeling, and I could be wrong. I have a feeling that Hugh Freeze is going to say things that will be veiled, that could bother you if you let them. You know what I mean? And I would encourage him not to go down. Don't go. Because because they're Hugh's going to get asked about coaching against Ole Miss and all this stuff and all, all if I were Lane Kiffin I would avoid it if I get asked about Auburn no nah, well you know I, I chose to stay here at Ole Miss and and I'm focused on this game I, I wouldn't tweet about it I wouldn't talk about it I, I would let whatever Hugh does if it's great if it's bad it's somewhere in between I just let him do it because he's got a better football team than Auburn and like you said the only way that it can get weird is if you let it get weird. Because if you just coach and play ball and don't let any extra emotion, and it might be hard, you know, it might be hard to not have some kind of feeling about Auburn if you're Lane Kiffin considering how, how everything went down last year. But if you just treat that game like you did LSU and Arkansas and every other game besides Alabama, you will win comfortably. Don't get down in the weeds. Don't troll. Don't do any of that. And I, again, it's in his nature to do those things. But, man, 
if it's just treated normal from your side, you win comfortably. That's it. You win comfortably. And you're coming at it from the perspective of uh, like, don't fall into the Hugh freeze trap. Yeah. Which I've never really thought about, but like, again, as I've criticized Lane when he does kind of dumb stuff in the media, but I've also praised him for having this program relevant every single year. I think he's a great offensive mind who's done a pretty damn good job at Ole Miss so far. The way I would look at it is, does Lane go on the offensive? Can Lane help himself of picking on Hugh Freeze, hoping Hugh Freeze trips over his own you-know-what after Lane says something ridiculous? Because that is actually the way I think it might go, because I don't think Lane can help himself. I'm going to be very fascinated to see what this newfound Sunday media availability, if they have it after a bye week, (laughs) brings of it. Do you get like an Alabama, this guy's not actually calling the plays and that type of thing? Or does it become pretty tame? Because I think Lane would actually be pretty good at not reacting to the whatever dumb thing that Hugh Free says that he acts like. Is why do I expect Hugh to do that? I, I mean, I, I don't know why I do. I, I think though, I, I don't know why I think this honestly. I, I but there there is there's been enough people that would know that have said things like he really like desperately wants this game to the point where it, it makes me think that there might be some kind of a, a shot or two in there. Oh, 100%. I've never thought about it from that side. It's going to be one of those, like, who actually lobs the first turd into the punch bowl? Like, who 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 makes this a childish mudslinging fest first? It might be just a simple matter of timing. When's Auburn's first media availability of the week? No clue. Ole Miss is on Sundays. Like, who goes first and who falls into the trap first? Because I think, as you know, whatever you want to criticize each coach for or praise them for, I think each one of them can be guilty of being a little bit impulsive at times. And I'm kind of fascinated to see kind of who who. Tra- Trades the first shot. I would think the most shocking outcome would be that neither one says a damn thing all week. Would that not be the most surprising that would shock me? To you? That would completely shock me. Uh, totally, one hundred percent. What What's good for Ole Miss, though, honestly, is that Auburn's in Baton Rouge this weekend. I, yeah. I think that is such a great benefit to Ole Miss because I mean that's a tough place to play. They're going to get beat up. They're, they're going to get beat badly. Uh, I, I mean, I know LSU's defense is as bad as it is, but they can't score on anybody. They're, they're going to get beat badly. And I, I don't know, man. I am, I'm looking forward to this game, frankly, because I, I think I have a good grasp on what's going to happen, I think. And if what I think is going to happen happens, I won't have to hear this happen sometimes. We get texts about if Lane leaves, I want Hugh tomorrow. Stuff like that. We we still get those kind of things. I know it's uh, not equal because he's taking over a program that fired its coach after two years and, and stuff like that. I get it. But Lane beating Hugh comfortably would allow me to just not have to hear that stuff anymore. So selfishly, I'm looking forward to it going down like I think it's going to go down. So I can point to, hey, guys. Uh, for a lot of reasons, no, but he's not as good as you think he is anyway. And here's why. I don't I thought Lane was at his best or among his best. He's been in a public media setting after the LSU game. I thought he was very honest in how he talked about, you know, that they have a good group of kids and a bunch of resilient guys and how they fought in the fourth quarter. And again, I know that's easy to say after a incredibly thrilling victory, but I thought that was one of Lane's best post-game press conferences. He was funny. He was clearly in a good mood. I don't know how he wouldn't be. With that said, 
after the Auburn game, if Ole Miss wins, and I don't care what he says, like I, he can let loose all he wants. <laughs> hey, if you that has potential to be a Lane Kiffin goldmine because nothing about LSU is personal. But if he goes yeah. in there and he beats Auburn by a score or two, that is going to be a subtle jab fest, passive aggressive bonanza. And I'm actually looking forward to that as much as I am anything. The greatest press conference of all time. Oh, oh my God. If they beat him badly. Oh man. Oh, that would be so funny. What do you, um, Speaking of that that post game LSU press conference, that Mark Stoops the other day was on his coach's show and said the fans are mad, and if you're mad, give us more money because that's that's how we're going to beat Georgia's. Give us more money. And while there's truth to that, if you want to recruit like Georgia, you got to pay like Georgia. Um, I thought that was the worst possible timed. Way, that was the worst place to say something like that because your team played like crap. You didn't just get out-athleted. You got out-coached and out-schemed and out-played. Lane didn't do anything like that after Alabama. After Alabama, he... It it almost, like, like humbling, maybe is the right word. Like, like that game humbled him, and the outcome of that game humbled him. He didn't do anything like that. And then LSU week was really, really quiet. And the first thing he says after they beat LSU, fans. And that is not something that Lane Kiffin has done, really, at Ole Miss. He, he's, and he even said it in his answer, but he's he's been really critical of fans. Called it a high school environment for the Tulsa game when it was 100 degrees and they came out after half and everybody left. After the A&M game, when they had college game day, it, uh, well, you know, they didn't have to use silent counts. They could They could go hard count because the crowd wasn't loud enough. Uh, you, you leak to Chris Lowe about it. you don't have enough money. Uh, that, and that's why he might go to Auburn. All this stuff, the, the fans from the Kiffin side have kind of been not They've been provoked, the right to put word. it mildly. Yeah, he's kind of poked them and, and not acknowledged them positively very often anyway. Was that just a product of winning a game or was post Alabama and post LSU and even post Arkansas as well. Is, is that a, maybe not a personality shift, but is that a realization that, okay, I'm here and I can't win here unless I have them. And so I need to change my tone with them. I I found that very, I, I was curious about that. He was very complimentary and he's not complimentary of much of anything, especially not fans. I think it's a fascinating point I've, I've, as I'm thinking this out in real time. You know, Lane, the first couple of years he was at Ole Miss, like you mentioned, would kind of chastise the fans for not filling up the stadium or leaving early. And then there's parts of it that I thought were unnecessary. But again, this is kind of gets back to my theory of like, who am I to criticize someone I'd know a fraction of their job about? I think I wrote about this the other night. It's like if you're an accountant and you have a bunch of assholes on Twitter being like, this guy sucks, their books are way off. It's like, all right, thanks, anonymous internet guy. Like, you're probably right. I don't know enough about his profession and kind of the method to his madness to actually offer real criticism in some respects. I thought some of the fan stuff has been unnecessary. I thought the leaking to Chris Lowe, if Again, not again, I can't say this for sure, but the like the Chris Lowe tweet last fall where it was like 
Auburn has 10 times the NIL of Ole Miss. It's like, come on, dude. Like, I don't know where that came from. I would assume it's from Kiffin, but I can't say that for sure. Like, if it was, that felt unnecessary. Remember, there were times in 2022 where he would criticize the fans turning out without being asked a question about it. Like, it was almost unprovoked. And it's like, all right, let's not beat a dead horse. And then randomly talk when they're doing the facility uh, update. He, he's About leaking, he's, yeah. Yeah, about a leaking roof when they're doing construction on the roof. Like, that's why it's leaking. And, and things like that, just they, they kind of piled up. And maybe as distasteful as some of that, some of it, not all of it, may have been, there's probably a method to the madness because, you know, I've I've been back in Oxford for two seasons now. When I was still living in Dallas in 2021, I came back for the A&M game and the 11 a.m. Arkansas game in 2021, where it ended on the last play two-point conversion. They had great environments, and that A&M environment in 21 was great. But between the fans regularly packing the stadium more, the – I can't credit Paris Buchanan anymore because I guess he's at Auburn now, but like the work that he did and a lot of those other guys did in the athletic department to make the fan experience and the game experience awesome, I think was still evolving at that point. And I think they were still kind of figuring it out and they were doing a good job at that point. But like, I guess my point in all of that is that LSU environment was different. Um, It was different than anything I had ever experienced um, from a game atmosphere wise and like a, university controlled atmosphere wise like of course Alabama 14 awesome there's been some games in there but just like making it fun for the fans was different I even thought the Arkansas game that was a slog of a football game but it was pretty much a sold out crowd and people were engaged the entire time I've sat in the section where I couldn't see the drone show because it was behind me heard it was pretty cool but like stuff like that and I just wonder if there's a method to his madness in that regard and he feels like he's finally arrived because these last two home environments have really been different. They felt different. I don't really know how to tangibly other like describe that any other way, but maybe he's felt like they've arrived. I mean, the Mercer game, I don't remember the exact crowd, but it certainly wasn't high school S like Tulsa. Better than most places would be for Mercer on that day at one o'clock. Exactly. And then Georgia Tech the next week, kind of the same deal. Was it a sellout? No, but it wasn't like a, oh my God, how many people out? They sold that. I can't remember. The Georgia Tech section If sucked. they didn't, they got they got really close. Maybe that's what it was. But point being, it was a pretty good turnout, particularly from an Ole Miss perspective. The dorks from Atlanta did not fill up their section by any stretch of the imagination. So maybe he feels like he's arrived. And, of course, the Alabama game is a little bit humbling for him. And it was the first time, and not that he's like a Hugh Freeze, I'm undefeated as a head coach, all my losses are on my assistants. That's not really kind of Lane's vibe. But it was the first time where he was like, okay, I got to take square ownership of this, whether it was totally my fault or not. It was a different tune. And then the LSU game happens, and he thanks the fans and all that. And I think some of that is a product of winning a game like that. Some of it, I think, may be the fact that he finally thinks they've arrived at the program. The NIL is pretty healthy. They, they're behaving like a big boy program, for the lack of a better phrase. And then to turn it to the last part of it for Mark Stoops, where he answers the question about, like, if you're unhappy, pay more. Look, I get it. It's the name of the game. Georgia has better recruits than anybody. They're going to recruit better than Kentucky. They have more NIL funds than Kentucky. But I got to be completely honest. I don't want to hear Mark Stoops shit because he's yet to produce a competent offense in the last, like, five years that Kentucky's been relevant. I get it. They have better players than you. Life's tough. Get a helmet, as some famous person recently said that I won't dive into. But, like, come on, dude. Like, toughen up a little bit. If – I don't know. I guess I'll put it to you this way. Alabama had better players than Ole Miss. Maybe not across the board, but in 2014. Or in 2013 or 2012, where Hugh Freeze did what he did and almost won nine games with a terrible roster. Like, I I know it's not an apples-to-apples example. But, like, at the level Kentucky's recruiting, it's not David versus Goliath. It's like David versus 
or uh, Goliath versus a medium-sized David. They recruit well enough on the defensive side of the football. They recruit everywhere else except for the offensive skill positions and quarterback to compete against the Georgia. I don't want to hear it. Find a quarterback and a competent offensive coordinator. Score points. Then but you he did find a quarterback. That's the thing. Hey, but he that guy sucks. It started Will Levis. Yeah, but but you know, Leary was good when he was healthy at NC State. Okay, I I'll put it to you this way. Different, but. Would you take – I would say Devin Leary and Will Levis were more talented quarterbacks than Bo Wallace, correct? Raw talent? Probably, yeah. Who had a better career? That's my point. Bo, Bo, like, Bo Wallace, yeah. I, I get it. You get the quarterback in, but then get the right coordinator. I, I don't want to hear this until your offense is competent. That's what right. rubbed me the wrong way. It's like, yes, you don't have as good of players, but maybe try to score some points and don't look like a complete total mess offensively for the fifth year in a row. That's where I don't want to hear it. You can scheme your way to score points. Yeah, and when we talked about this on the show, I, I, I talked about two games. I said – if Lane Kiffin 2020, when they played really well, they played really good football. That's a great they example. They just got yes. beat. If after the game on on the the show with Kellum, he was like, you know, uh, we just we we got to get people to, to to donate to the collective so we can go out and recruit players like that. Ole Miss fans would have been like, hell yeah, let let's do it I, all in because clearly you can coach the players up to to compete in a game. You're just a few players away. <laughs> but if he'd have done that after the Alabama game this year. Ole Miss fans would have been like, shut the hell up. Yeah, shut up. No, you can't do that after that game because you didn't coach well enough in that game. And if I were a Kentucky fan, that's how I would feel. You, I'm sorry, what? You've got your massive salary. You, you get your quarterback. You, you get you, you portal a quarterback. You steal a running back from a, an SEC, a division rival. Put that in air quotes. Vanderbilt's not a rival to anybody. But you, you steal a running back from another SEC team. And how do you think Barry and Brown showed up on your campus? Is because he loves horses and white picket fences and, and the bourbon trail? How, why do you think he's at Kentucky? So we invest in you, you get embarrassed, and then you tell us we're not enough. Ah, forget that. And and Kiffin this year has he's not even approached that. And I he's he's done quite the opposite. And it's it's very different. I I'm with you. I wonder if arrival is a really good phrase. I wonder if he looks around at how the department's being run, how the fans have responded, the the money that they've got available. It's not AM money, but it's still money that's available. Maybe he does kind of realize, you know, these people have stepped up. Maybe he it's finally gotten to him that with with salary, with with golding and what he's getting and and buying out partridge to get to him. And I mean, when when he tells Keith Carter to jump. Keith says how high and, and get, gets him whatever he possibly could want. Maybe that's finally hit him that, hey, I do have n- not not enough, but they have really stepped up from their side, and maybe I need to acknowledge that. Yeah, exactly. And, like, the, again, with the distance. Well, this is I mean- a better position to win right now than – Look, I I moved to Mississippi in 2010, so maybe I don't have extensive knowledge of the history of Ole Miss sports. But to to my knowledge of Ole Miss sports, Ole Miss football is in the best position to win at a high level consistently since before I was born. I can't think of another time. The only like exception I would throw in is the way Freeze recruited pre the NCAA college. It's like, hey, they got they got some dudes here. Yeah. But like to your point, outside of that, like yes, it absolutely is the case, and that's the distasteful part about the. About the Stoops quote, and look, he's done a great job. He's turned totally earned his salary. Kentucky was not a real serious program, but like that, I would understand that comment if Kentucky lost 
62 to 45. And it's like, we just couldn't stop those guys. We don't have enough dudes on defense. But when it's the same old Kentucky story, where it's like, oh, they were absolutely abhorrent on offense. And maybe it's just my own bias to where I think the most frustrating kind of football game to watch is when one offense literally just can't do anything. And it's like, man, I've watched this movie 500 times. Yeah, they got a good defense. Yes, they can run the football, particularly against inferior competition. But, like, you can't score 20 points against any opponent worth its salt. Like, I just don't want to hear it anymore. And I get his frustration. It was probably a bad moment. He probably saw the reaction that was like, damn, I probably should not have done that or phrased it better or whatever the case may be. I don't think he's a bad football coach. I know he's a terrific job. But, like, Again, I just don't want to hear it again until something changes. Like, I mean, Rich Scangarello, whoever they have in there this year is the offensive coordinator. Until you actually find someone that's innovative offensively that can score points, I don't want to hear it from Kentucky. But that doesn't make it a completely illegitimate gripe. And they've only beaten Georgia, what, like 12 times ever? Yeah. Uh, so. so, fine. That's fine. But, like, don't blame the fans for that because it's the same right. story every time, whether it was pre-NIL or post-NIL. So that part of it's – Fascinating to me. I guess we'll get to the Jordan Watkins piece of it real quick for some just bigger picture SEC questions. So as it was reported today on rebelgrove.com and a couple other places, um, I guess for the unofficial record, I've heard the same thing. Jordan Watkins breaks a bone in his hand in practice today. That's a massive loss for Ole Miss. I don't know how long he's out, but the way it sounds, he's certainly not playing the Auburn game. I don't really know the timeline after that. Don't know if he'll play again this season. But, I mean, that's Ole Miss kind of lost the backbone of its receiving core. Uh, you know, I would say Trey Harris is the most talented receiver on this offense, but the most reliable and kind of a coach on the field guy, as Kiffin has called him, is Jordan Watkins. And when they needed third downs last week and Priestcorn was having a tough game and Watkins was injured, or excuse me, Harris got injured late, like, who did they go to? Watkins. Uh, there was a quote from Dart after the LSU game or maybe Georgia Tech where it was like, how much do you trust uh, Jordan Watkins? Like, well, who did I throw the ball to with the game on the line in the Egg Bowl? They are on the same page, same wavelength. He's an adult. That's a huge loss for Ole Miss. I think they can get past it, but, man, I'm very fascinated now with the thin receiving core. You didn't really see much of Zakari Franklin last week. What does this look like now? Does this turn into 2021 Auburn where I'm looking up the roster and I'm like, oh, Drummond pulled a hammy. Wait, who is this guy out on the field? Like, what does this turn into? I'm very fascinated to see that. For a team that's seemingly healthier than most teams are six games through the season, that's a very – I don't even want to call it underrated because I think most people keeping up understand what a tough blow it is. But that's one nationally where people be like, what happened to the Ole Miss offense? It's like, well, this guy was a lot more important than you thought. I'm curious to see how they overcome this. Yeah, highly productive and consistent receiver. One of the most underrated players in the SEC, at least. Uh, Ole Miss fans have a very firm understanding of how important and good he is. But yeah, across the board, you ask the average SEC fan, who's Jordan Watkins? They probably couldn't tell you, and, and that's an indictment on them, not Watkins. I mean, just productive and reliable and uh, effective in the middle of the field. Uh, it's, it's a huge loss. How long he's out, you know, because I, I saw it phrased earlier that you know, it's unknown the severity of the injury, but it's a serious injury. Well, if th those are two conflicting thoughts, is it serious or do you not know? Anyway, that, that's splitting hairs, uh, I guess, on on how things are being reported. But how serious is it? Is it because I, I spent time on Google because, you know, that's that's super accurate when it comes to medical stuff. There are uh, broken bones and hands that could be two week things. And there are broken bones and hands that could be eight week things. And and. I mean, they're not going to tell anybody, right, that what, what it's going to be. We'll just find out one day when Watkins is in warm-ups on the field and, oh, he's he's playing today. But in the meantime, what they do about that, uh, is it you, you move Dayton Wade to slot and, and have uh, maybe a finally healthy Zakari Franklin after the bye week? Uh, maybe it's his time to shine. 
because he hasn't looked healthy even though he's been playing? Do you use the bye week to get Aiden Williams ready? And maybe he'll he'll be on the same page consistently uh, with play calls and quarterback. What they do here and how they scheme away from it's fascinating. Because I do think if that is the answer, if, if Wade now becomes your Watkins, you're okay. Wade's good enough. You know, he's he's not Watkins, with all due respect to him. He, he's not. But if that's the guy that you need to fill into the, the second wide receiver role, you're okay there. You know what you have there. You you can you can be good there. But where's the plug in the trickle down effect? Yep. Who's next? Who who's next is the question that maybe you could argue they haven't done a good enough job finding the answer to that question to this point. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We'll finish up with Michael in just a second, but before we do, I want to take one last quick break to remind you. This podcast is also brought to you by our partner at AG1, the daily founded nutritional supplement that supports whole body health. I drink AG1 every day. I gave it a try because I'm not always giving my body what it needs. I take it every morning. It helps get me the nutrients I need, helps me feel a lot better. It is a great kickstart to the day. You should try it too. With every daily serving, you're setting yourself up for success with 75 high quality ingredients that give you the daily nutrients and supporting energy, focus, strength, and clarity. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to ag1.com slash mpw. That's ag1.com slash mpw to check it out. This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, 
is, is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. All right, back to Borky. Oh, I think you could absolutely argue it. I think this year has been better with the talent they got in the portal, but man, it's like, a, who's kind of been developed into a pretty good receiver since they've been at Ole Miss. And not a, you know, some of that may be pointed a little bit unfair, but it's like, all right, Aiden Williams, true freshman, that's tough to rely on. Uh, you know, I heard they have a guy named Jalen Knox on the team. I don't know if he actually exists. Um, Zachary Franklin, I haven't seen a ton of, mostly injury related. I'm very fascinated. And then the other piece of it too is like, you know, Priest Corn gets into the Alabama game. He was, Definitely not in game shape. I have that on pretty good authority. He wasn't allowed to do a whole lot before that. Not really any fault of his own. And he kind of gets back into it. And has an incredibly crucial and clutch game, both in run blocking and catching the football, particularly on third down against LSU. And then all of a sudden, he just became the center of the ire of the Ken Williamson crew last week. God gets a false start in which he didn't move. A couple of tough holding penalties. They kind of covered him up all night. But that's a six foot six, 250-pound guy over the middle of the field. who's supposed to be an NFL tight end. Like, can we finally see him getting into a rhythm and kind of settling into the season? I don't really know. I know he's dealt with some uh, personal stuff. His father passed away this week, unfortunately. Um, and I know that's been very tough on him. Uh, I got a little bit of insight to that. His father's been sick with cancer for a long time. And it's kind of like a, a how much time do we have left type of thing. And I don't know how that affects him. Not really the point. I guess my point being is like, does he finally settle into the season after a tough break, you know, breaking a bone in his foot? Apparently, it's still debatable whether he had surgery or not, but neither here nor there. Won't go into that today. Does he finally become that middle of the field guy where it's like this dude? Because there were flashes against LSU where I'm like, this dude is massive. Like, Dart can throw it in his general direction, and he just, like, catches it with his forearms because his forearms extend, like, tree trunks 10 feet out onto the field. Like, can he become – I know this sounds silly, but, like, what Brock Bowers is where, like, my God, what an athlete. Can he become the light version of that where it's like, holy shit, I'm glad they got this dude? Like, that, to me, will be as important as anything with this uh, Watkins absence, and I'm fascinated to see how they fill that void because, again, Franklin, Harris – Wade Watkins behind that it's like true freshman Aiden Williams and then what I mean I could name Jalen Knox and then I could I'm not even sure I could name another receiver I'm like that guy might could do it was it Caden Lee the freshman from Florida with the cool hair yeah and that might be the most troubling time of anything is the fact that he's the one that played I mean Braylon Brown is still on this roster um I'm halfway joking here, but the two uh, Jacksons that were on the Ole Miss roster forever, I think they're finally gone. Like, I just I just don't know who else it is after that. And I guess we're about to find out. Yeah, the, the pre-score thing, uh, God bless him. Uh, I mean, just Tough he deal. gets injured in a year where I, I assume he was expecting to, to play and play well and play a lot, and he was going to, and then he gets hurt. And, and you know, chase your NFL dreams with your new wife and your and your child, and and then this happens. I mean, just it's it's just – I don't know how you play after something like that. I, I don't. And if if, he, if he's on the planes playing, man, he's he's tougher mentally than than I would be in, in that spot. But um, I am curious to see if he becomes a a a bigger focal point in the offense. I mean, had three catches against LSU, but they were all third down catches for first downs. I mean, so clearly he can be effective. He's very clearly helping in the running game. Uh, his his blocking downfield is is really good. And so if he's available for Auburn, I wonder if the absence of Watkins, they're really going to kind of force 
him, especially in the middle of the field, to kind of open things up for Harris on the outside as opposed to using Watkins in that spot. I don't know. I mean, that I don't get paid $9 million to figure that out, but it does feel like with him having weeks to get physically healthy, uh, this would be a really good time to kind of unleash him and his dependability because he, to me, looks like he's a guy that will be dependable. I mean, the numbers don't jump off the page at you, but he's barely played. But when you watch, you see why Kiffin was so excited about him and why they they saw such great potential in him. He's got it all. And maybe now is is his time to to show everybody that he's got it all. It's crazy how people bloom in the ways they do, because four years ago, he was a quarterback at a prep military school that basically had to beg for a walk on spot at Memphis. And now he's probably going to be an NFL tight end. It's just kind of I wild love stories like that, man. This yeah, is- dude, it's just wild how all that turns out. And so last old miss thought they're five and one at the break. They have a bye week. We covered the Watkins piece of it. This is way ahead of the game in terms of like predicting it and whatever, but it's a weird spot, particularly after the Alabama A&M game where it's like, Alabama's firmly in control of the SEC West. Like, could Alabama lose twice? Yeah, I guess. Are you telling me that LSU's going to beat them? Not sure I buy that. Tennessee plays them, but it's in Tuscaloosa. Arkansas gets them next week. I just not sure where I find two losses on the Alabama schedule, even though I'm not sure how good Alabama is. So it feels like there's one team firmly in control of an otherwise wide open SEC West. But for Ole Miss, it's like nine and three kind of feels like the floor now. If you can beat AM and just give yourself a free shot at Georgia, then it's like, okay, then what does this actually turn into? I mean, Chase and I had the conversation on the postgame show either last week or the week before last, where it's like, you know, you don't even pay attention to the West. Is 11 and 1 Ole Miss team getting left out of the playoff? Again, way far down the road, not projecting that at all. But it's a very weird dynamic, if that makes any sense. It's like they have everything left to play for, but they're going to need a ton of help if it actually like turns into a chance for an SEC Western division title. Yeah, I I agree with Chase, though. I do think if, if they find a way to win the rest of their games, they'll be a playoff team. I think I, I'll I agree do. with that, too. I agree with that sentiment. But, man, even if they don't, I mean, if, if they can get – because this wasn't supposed to be the year, was it? Right, it's next year. It's next year when the playoff is expanded as well. But, man, if, if they can find a way to win the rest – because anybody can beat anybody on a given Saturday. Ole Miss with the, those offensive weapons, uh, they, they can beat Georgia. They can Will they? I don't think so, but but they can. So I'm I don't mean to count them out exclusively, but if they can win the rest of their games besides Georgia and go ten and two again, and, and the Sugar Bowl is a uh, a playoff bowl this year, so I guess it would be like go to the Cotton Bowl and and play, I don't know, uh, Louisville or whoever, and beat them and, and win eleven games uh, this season after the debacle of twenty twenty two, and this being the setup year for twenty four would be. I mean, it would be special. The second double-digit win regular season in the history of the program would have come in two of the last three years. Massive I mean, success. That that would, especially in this tumultuous time where all this stuff is going on and, and it's all about money and, and all that, you could really capitalize on so much momentum and keep people engaged so well. And, uh, I mean, be attractive in the portal again and just, that's right there in front of them. They'll be favored on the planes. They'll obviously be favored against Vanderbilt. They'll be very clearly a favorite against Louisiana Monroe. And at this point, they'll be a touchdown plus favorite against Mississippi State, maybe even more uh, by the time they get to the Egg Bowl. The only close line would be A&M, but what the hell are they going to be by then? I mean, they go up to Knoxville and lose this weekend, and buddy, the hot seat. Fascinating game there. Yeah, so it's all right there in front of them. 
frankly, I don't think they have to do anything special. If they play well, which is, a, I know this is a tough ask, but if they play to their capability every week for the rest of the season, they will win all but one game. They will go 10 and 2 if they just play to their capability for the rest of the season. And it's the craziest week to week swing because if they lost LSU, it's like, how bad does this get? Now the entire outlook is different and the four feels like nine and three. And it's just kind of nuts how that changes week to week. And again, I mean, to, not to over harp on this, I've, I've said this multiple times, but like, whatever you want to criticize Lane Kiffin for, the fact that Ole Miss has him at this current point in college football where things are changing and you have to be all rowing in the same direction, fans have to sack up money wise. I think this in the the 50 years from now will be proven to be a pretty critical time in Ole Miss history because not to belittle Matt Luke at all, but like if Matt Luke was the head coach entering the NIL era, where is Ole Miss as a program versus hiring if Dave a Doran like is the coach today? Oh, because I, I think he would start. I think fine. Dave Doran would have been fine, but if he was the coach today, what would Ole Miss football be? Not anywhere close. And I'm not sure we'd hear enough about the Grove Collective. And I don't mean that as. Uh, as a slight to the innovative work that William Liston and a lot of those guys did and ultimately Walker Jones, but I just don't think if the momentum was not there, like, would it be exactly the same? And that's, that's a fascinating part of this whole college football thing. And then you get to the expanded playoff the next year and the possibilities kind of seem endless. Let's kind of look around the sec before I let you get out of here. I guess we'll go to the other side of the state first. Um, The antithesis of everything we talked about with Ole Miss is Mississippi state. And I don't really mean to be harsh, but man, they're in a tough situation. Mike Leach passes fair to be harsh. Tragically, but my God, as good of a coordinator as Arnett is, what a horrible product of football to watch. There, we're already behind a bit. I mean, I, I'll put it to you this way: even if you don't keep up with this day to day, what did you hear about first, the Grove Collective or the Bulldog Initiative? And how much time elapsed between you heard about those two things? They're already a little bit behind the eight ball in NIL. They have this kind of ceiling air raid thing where I think Leach is a great coach, but I don't know exactly what you can actually do with that beyond going eight and four and beating a bunch of, you know, mediocre to bad teams. He tragically passes away, becomes the Arnett show. I like him a lot. I like listening to him talk when he's not swearing and over his head after post games, but seems like a very smart defensive mind. But man, ever since I, I sat down and watched that LSU game before Ole Miss played Georgia Tech that night. And I was like, this is a horrendous product. And that day was offensively. And ever since they figured it out somewhat offensively, but the defense is horrible. I don't even know where I'm going with this. That seems like a program in shambles. Again, this is typical. It can rotate very quickly. But what do they do? Where where does this go? Um, they they better hope that they beat Arkansas uh, in two weeks. That that's that's where it needs to go because if it goes poorly, it, you know, people disagree with me on this. If it goes poorly and they go one and done with a coach, they will be able to hire somebody. But, but we've got state fans sending us, like, their ideal candidates. And they've got guys like Lance Leopold on it. And if you go two and fired, Mike Leach, one and fired, Lance Leopold is not picking up the phone when you call. It's not happening. I mean, Charles, I don't think Charles Huff would pick up the phone. If you think that you are going to get somebody, I mean, Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Kane Womack would take the Mississippi State job. But if I'm Kane Womack and, and I'm winning at South Alabama, am I really going to a place that went two and fired, Mike Leach, one and fired? You won't give me more than a year or you won't give me more than two years to win at your place before you fire me? 
when I've got other jobs that are going to come open, that are going to call me, that are not going to do that, I think it would set a bad precedent. And I know the situation is different. It's unique. But they did make him the head coach. This isn't inter- It's not an interim thing. They named him their head coach. And whether or not it's true, there were always rumors that he was going to be Mike Leach's su- successor anyway. That he was handpicked. It was always a thing that, well, Arnett's going to take over when Leach decides to hang it up. That that was that was always talk around there, but I think they need him to win enough games to make it tenable for next year. Because going again, going two and fired, Mike Leach one and fired is something that if I were a a prime candidate, I wouldn't answer the phone, especially when you consider that they they just hired another employee with the Bulldog Initiative. They're they're trying things, they're getting better, but they are behind. They're absolutely behind. I mean, they did a a, a day of giving thing like Ole Miss did. And they raised a million dollars on their big fundraiser day, which is good. Like they were, they're proud of that and they should have been. But compare that to their in-state rival on their big fundraiser day. And it's three times more. So they're, they're not competitive within their own state, let alone the rest of the SEC. Um, But man, it's bad. It is so bad. And and I point to the Alabama game, uh, the, the disconnect between head coach and coordinator uh, is shocking to me. And and we had state fans tell us that, oh, you guys are are thinking too much about this. I disagree completely. So they're down 14. They get the ball back with just over a minute to go in the first half. I saw the comments about this. I'm fascinated to hear this. They they decide to run their offense. Will Rogers throws a really dumb interception. Alabama obviously gets the ball back, and they score to go up 21 at the half. Mississippi State was going to get the ball back to start the second half. Zach Arnett was asked about that after the game and said, you know, I should have just taken a knee there, gone in the half down 14, gotten the ball back in the second half. Maybe we score there. Bad decision by the head coach is what he said. He said that he should have taken a knee with over a minute on the clock, down 14 at home to Alabama with a veteran quarterback. Two days later, his offensive coordinator is asked about it. No, if you're going to win games like Alabama, if you're going to beat a team like Alabama, you you have to go score in that spot. I don't regret it, and I'd do it again. And I know, I know Arnett was probably, I say I know probably. Those are conflicting words. I think that Arnett was just trying not to throw Will Rogers under the bus there. I think he wanted everybody to point the blame at him. It was me. It was a bad coaching decision. But, man, sometimes players make mistakes. And, And hearing a head coach completely roll back the correct decision that he made. And then to hear his offensive coordinator two days later say, I would do it again. Spoke to me as disorganization. It's okay sometimes for a coach to say, yeah, you know, can't make that throw there. Can't make that mistake there. Will knows that and and we'll work on it and he'll get better. That's all you have to say there to not throw your, your quarterback under the bus. But hearing him, Make the he made the right decision on the field, and then hearing him tell the fans, actually, I screwed up when he didn't. It's either he's he doesn't seem confident in his decision making. He seems he seems lost at times, and, and his demeanor. The I know this doesn't matter, but like press conferences and stuff, and the way he presents himself is totally different than the defensive coordinator that we've seen for three years. Totally different guy. He's trying to be somebody he's not. He's not confident in the decisions he's making. You've got mixed messaging 
from he and his coordinator, and he's trying to be somebody he's not. It's very bizarre, but it's clearly very bad. And on that note, why does the defense suck? Why did he give up reins of the defense? I get you're a head coach. You got a lot more things going on, but clearly the hire he made, and he's very seemingly hands-off defensively because Zach Arnett was a very good defensive coordinator. They have a ton of talent returning. I get it. They lost Forbes and whoever else to the NFL, but they had a bunch of veteran and like senior-laden talent seemingly coming back on that side of the football, and they're horrible. Western Michigan – who Iowa beat 41 to 7 and Syracuse beat 48 to 7, brought in a quarterback off the bench who, to kids' credit, had a ton of success at Old Dominion, but like technically a backup quarterback off the bench and just moved the ball up and down the field. Why are they so bad defensively? Why has Arnett been hands off? I would think, if anything, he would want to cradle that like his baby and his calling card. Hey, if the offense sucks, I'll fix this in the offseason, but we will not suck defensively. And they, they kind of suck defensively, and it makes no sense. I guess he thinks that he has to have his hands in everything because after the Arizona game, there was talk about him uh, uh, telling Kevin Barbet essentially like what to call and, and how, what he wanted the offense to do in that game. And they almost lost that game. So you now, don't think he's hands off defensively? No, I, I think he's got his hands in, in everything. And, and that's, that's causing him to not. Here's what I'm saying. He gave the defense to, to Brock. So he could be involved in everything. Okay. And I think he needs to not be involved in everything and, and take reins of the defense and and let Kevin Barbe do his thing. Because hearing that talk after the Arizona game of I intervened and, and I should, and of course, after every time they perform poorly, it's I shouldn't have done it. It's all my fault, all my fault, all my fault, all my fault, which is, is nice for the fans to hear once or twice. Admirable to some degree. Yeah. But, but at some point it's like, okay, then what are you getting paid $3 million this year for? Uh, but I think what he needs to do is relinquish everything else and, and run the defense and call the defense and that be your thing. Let Kevin Barbet do his thing and, and you don't intervene and you call the defense. It's, I, I think that he, I'm reading between the lines here. I, I might be making this up completely. I'm trying to read into something that may not be there. I think he didn't like a lot of how Mike Leach ran a program. Okay. I think he wants to do it very differently than, than the way Mike Leach did it in a lot of ways. Mike Leach was an interesting guy. He wouldn't show up to the facility until afternoon. And he'd be there until wee hours of the morning. He 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 kept a different schedule. He, he was just a very different guy. And and it worked, obviously, for a long time. But there there's... I guess anecdotal evidence to suggest that he wanted to do things differently. And I wonder if he would be better served to let the offense just, just do it. It's just, that's all you and I'm going to be over here and I'm going to call defense. And that's what I'm going to do. Is there any part of it? The fact that he's been two places in college football, he spent a yeah. ton of time at San Diego state and all of a sudden he's in the sec. The, I mean, it works for Dan Mullen, right? So, so they've got they've got evidence that suggests that you can hire a coordinator and it work. But you can't learn on the job in the SEC, man. You you can't do it. And this is a learn on the job thing that they that they chose to do. It's you know, and and the a lot of their media did him a disservice, honestly, by expecting them to and talking about this is a nine win football team. Well. I mean, last time I talked to you, I believe it was the last time I talked to you, we kind of went through it where new offense. Oh, it's going to be fine. 
Mm. rookie head coach. Oh, it's going to be fine. You lose your entire secondary. Oh, it's going to be fine. And nobody was saying, hey, it might not be. This guy's never done this before. Mike Leach elevated historically bad programs for two decades. Texas Tech, Washington State, and Mississippi State are historically irrelevant programs. And he wanted all those places. Maybe not the highest level always, but his teams were respectable and interesting and good enough. And he's gone, and, and he gets replaced with a rookie. Oh, it's going to be fine. And a lot of people put expectations on this team that were unrealistic from the beginning. It's a nine-win football team. On what planet should anybody have thought that they that this team was going to win nine games? And so it, he was kind of set up for failure to begin with. But it looks worse than even a rational person could have expected it would have. It really looks bad. Just They have not played well yet. They're very disorganized. They're very undisciplined. The, the, the part of their team that is supposed to be good, which is the front six, not good right now. Uh, Rodgers has played well a game and a half this season. South Carolina and then played well against Western Michigan until he got hurt. Um, it's a It's a mess. It is an absolute mess, and and I mean, maybe he can pull himself out of it, but it's very clearly an example of you can't learn on the job in the SEC. You get buried very quickly if you, if you try to go down that road. He gets another year, right? So Andy Staples, and now... Pretty connected guy. Yeah, you, you think Andy Staples just kind of makes stuff up? You think he throws think so. names on, on a hot seat list uh, just because he feels like it? Or do you think Andy Staples would have been uh, clued in on uh, something as nuanced as Zach Arnett's contract and buyout language? you think he just seeked that out on his own? He might have, but I kind of feel like that that was not just pulled out of his ass, okay? Uh, but uh, that, that's the spin, though, is, yeah, he just there, – there's nothing to that whatsoever. Uh, Mississippi State could very easily financially get out of his contract very quickly. His buyout is very, very small, and it has a mitigation clause in it. Imagine that. Hey, Ross Bjork, mitigation clauses for guys that have no leverage. Uh, maybe consider that one next time, bud. Uh, so they can very easily financially get out of his contract with um, with ease. I mean, they're, they're currently, I don't think, paying any buyouts at, at all. It's, it's kind of morbid, but the reality is – you know, they, they're they not paying their previous head coach a buyout. It's He tragically passed away, so they didn't owe a former coach $16 million. So there, there's no dead money. Uh, that's a bad phrase. Gosh, I'm sorry. But if you're an NFL I know fan, exactly you know what, what you mean. mean. It's a tough Gosh, question, but I know exactly. Yeah, that's a really bad phrase. But the, the when it comes to NFL terms, the Saints were paying Drew Brees after he yes. left, and that's called dead money. So So there's none of that. They can very easily financially uh, afford to move on and, and pay the next head coach without uh, breaking the bank, depending on who it is, of course. So that possibility is on the table. If they, I mean, if they lose to Arkansas, if they lose to AM, if they lose to Ole Miss and finish four and eight, because they're going to beat Southern Miss because they're horrible. If they want to move on, they can. Feels like he needs to win one SEC game. But the question is, who's on your list? Uh, we had a state fan text in today asking me about Jamie Chadwell. If you're Chadwell, you're getting paid a lot. 
Yeah, Liberty just paid him almost $5 million. I'd say no thanks. That's $2 million more than what Arnett is making. Exactly. So, I mean, maybe he would jump at an SEC job, but I feel like if you win for a year or two at Liberty after you've won at Coastal, you, you don't have to you don't have to do that. Not that it's it's a tough job. It's not a bad job. It's an SEC West job. It's it's good. Somebody's going to want it. But I feel like they're going to have to go down a candidate list some if if they do it this way. I would be really concerned. Um, Jeff Lebby's a popular name among state fans right now, which, you know, would he do it? Or would he continue to coach good offense at Oklahoma and get – I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know how that job would be viewed if they fire him after one year. I, I, I'm not connected in the industry like like Neil is. You know, I'm sure he would have a much better answer on how the coaching industry would, would view that job after they go one and done like that. What do you make of the fact as we wrap up here – you and I used to make fun of the college football thing or it's the same four teams every year. This SEC feels average and very wide open, but now we're on a collision course of Alabama, Georgia in the title game. But I will give it this credit. It feels different this year. Like if it's Alabama, Georgia in the SEC title game, that will not feel the same as Alabama, Georgia in any other year. It does feel different. It's just kind of funny. It's going to end up happening that way because both feel way more human. But I guess to parlay in that, like I guess a real question, what's the playoff? What is the four-team playoff? I think it's Georgia and then three non-SEC teams, don't you think? Georgia, the winner of Washington and Oregon, Oklahoma, and the winner of Ohio State, Michigan. What about Florida State? I think they're going to lose. To who? So, in the ACC championship game. Okay. And you think a one-loss Florida State? I actually agree. Here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. The ACC has three undefeated teams at the moment. North Carolina, Louisville, in Florida State. And should have four, by the way. My God. They should have four. They don't they don't play each other. Oh wow. They don't play each other. Isn't that weird how that worked out? But yeah, so only two of the three will face each other. If they all go undefeated, only two of them will play each other in the ACC championship game. So you will have, if they all win out, and if you look at the schedules, it's possible. It probably won't happen because college football is insane, but just future trip with me here. If they all go undefeated, there will be a undefeated ACC team that did not play in the conference championship game. That's what insane. The hell, what the hell do you do with that? I have no earthly idea. And like, in with the way the SEC is training and it being so, you know, average, I would say, for the lack of a better phrase, beyond like, you know, one school really. I'm not even really sure how Alabama uh, is, like, how good they are. There's probably, for the first time in a long time, the more likelihood of like a Big 12 or a Pac. I mean, this sounds blasphemous to say, but a Pac 12 team getting two teams in versus an SEC team. Like, if you made me rank the co- if there's two teams from one conference in this last iteration of the 14 playoff, I might put the SEC at the bottom in terms of the likelihood of them getting in. Because in the Big 10, you have Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State. Clearly, they're not all going to finish undefeated. They're uh, all in the same division. Mm-hmm. And in the Pac-12, you, I think you got at least two really good football teams in Washington or Oregon who are going to play each other this year. I don't know what to make of USC, but, hey, they're undefeated and their schedule is not totally horrible. And then you just outline what's happened in the ACC. I still don't think Texas sucks by any stretch. I was surprised Oklahoma won that game. I was more impressed with them. There's more options elsewhere outside the SEC to get a second team in if you're trying to get two teams in one conference. Yeah, and so uh... – 
I'm worried that we are on a collision course of Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, you know, USC or, or whoever, and it's kind of all the same. But I do like the fact that we are halfway through the season. Bill Bender wrote a story today. Uh, forgive me for for plugging. Uh, I don't know. Is Bill a competitor? Probably not, right? I would say no. Um, <laughs> I have no. not thought about okay. sporting news as a competitor. Yeah. <laughs> Bill's the man. So uh, he he did a, a kind of like a flow chart of, here who can here's who controls their own destiny to make the college football playoff, and some of them are like Maryland, right? They're not finishing the season with only one loss, but currently they only have one loss. There are 29 teams right now in college football that if they run the table, you would assume they make the playoff. And we're halfway through this deal. teams, and we're halfway through. And again, you know, like there's Maryland in there, and and I get it, but Ole Miss was one of the teams in the SEC. If Ole Miss runs the table, they would likely make the playoff. If Maryland won out, they would like – so it does feel, whether it's real or not, that it is as wide open of a season as we've had in the playoff era, and I love that. I love that Washington and Oregon matters. And and what – to take it even a step further, I know Georgia looked basically immortal on Saturday against Kentucky. It feels like the winner of Oregon and Washington actually can win a championship. Yeah, it, it feels like the winner of Ohio State and Michigan actually can win a championship. It feels like Oklahoma and Texas actually can. It, it, maybe it's just perception, but I do like how this is all setting up to where I really have no idea who's going to win the national championship this year, whereas the last few years, I would take two teams over the field. Exactly. You would be right. And so even if the end result is still for Blue Bloods, the sport is changing and there's becoming a little bit more parity and it's becoming more unpredictable how we arrive at the result. And I guess that's a great way to close the podcast. The anti-playoff expansion guys make me want to ram my head through all. Bear Salee did this the other day where he's talking about we'd be better served with the BCS. It's like, why, man? Washington's good. Oregon's good. Georgia's good. Ohio State's good. Michigan's good. I think Penn State's pretty good. Florida State's good. I don't think Clemson's very good. North Carolina, I don't know what to make of it. How have you have all these teams? Can you come to the conclusion that ah, there should only be two teams that end up having a shot? How does that make any sense? I will never be able to reason with those people. I'm a pretty open-minded guy. But for the love of God, even just on a sheer level, every other level of football, NFL, awesome product. People love high school football. Uh, every other level other than the FBS, they have a real playoff. It's like, why are you zagging further when your product sucks and your playoff sucks and you think the solution is actually to put less teams in there? I would never understand that. It drives me insane. Especially when we have pollsters uh, that used to decide this thing. It used to be humans would would make polls and that that's who would be the champion and who would go to these things. It's just one person. But – the uh, the AP poll voter that covers Syracuse for the Syracuse.com or whatever the newspaper's now website is uh, uh, ranked Texas ahead of Oklahoma. Yeah, what are we doing? And, and somebody asked her on uh, X, formerly known as Twitter, uh, why she did that. And she said that, well, Oklahoma didn't beat Texas by enough to make the stats say that Oklahoma's better. And it's not and, even and it's, a defense of her. Texas might actually be better than Oklahoma, but that's not the point. Let's not make this decided by computers or humans. Humans they, they in the, voters, on the field. Humans on the field would be great. Yeah. They played a game on a neutral site, and one team beat the other. That one team is better than the other. In that case, then what's the point of the games? Exactly. What are you so doing? That 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 stuff drives me nuts. The taking, and that's why I advocated for TCU 
making the playoff last year. And by the way, they earned that spot, and they proved that they earned that spot by beating Michigan. I know what the championship game looked like, but you you had people doing the, well, Alabama would be favored in Vegas. Okay, but favorites don't win every game in Vegas. In the NFL, the consensus line, favorites are 37 and 37 and 3. I think After back-to-back years where they've been losing record, underdogs have roamed the NFL for the last four so, years. So Vegas isn't exactly perfect anyway. But if we're just going to go by, well, on it, I just I think that team's better, then what's the point of even playing games? TCU won games when where Alabama did not. Would they have lined up and beaten TCU? Probably. But what's the point of playing the games then? So I'm glad that it's going away where what happens on the field dictates what happens in the playoffs. If you win your conference, guess what? You're making the playoff, guaranteed. Get you're, you're making the playoff. If you win your conference, you're making the playoff. That's how it should be. And so I'm glad I'm glad we're here because we could this year, the last year could be the perfect um example for why we needed expansion. Because play it out like this. Florida State runs the table. Georgia runs the table. Ohio State runs the table. Oklahoma runs the table. Oregon runs the table. How do you pick four? Alabama. One loss, Alabama runs the table. Exactly. Because I how do you pick you four? in a Georgia-Washington quarterfinal, or how about an Alabama-USC quarterfinal, or how about a Michigan-Oklahoma quarterfinal? Does any of that sound fun? No, the solution is actually just to do it by computer and only have two teams have a shot. It dilutes the greatest regular season of all time. Really, does it? Because LSU is pretty much toast, and that team with that offense, as bad as their defense is, wouldn't you like to see them try to back in their way into the playoff in November? I would. So how does it devalue anything? I just I can't wrap my head around that logic, and I'm usually pretty open minded. But when anyone ever says playoff expansion is dumb, I, I want to hit them with the brick. Yeah, mm-hmm. and <laughs> in this year, uh, college football is up twelve percent year over year and twenty eight percent over the five year average uh, in terms of viewership. So I think we're I, I think all of the stuff that is going on has changed nothing about people's consumption of the sport itself but let's make more meaningless november games because we want to limit the playoff spots he is michael borky we're talking since into college football one podcast at a time i appreciate the time my man we'll check in before you before the end of the year but uh always good stuff yeah man anytime all right that's going to do it for our show today thanks for tuning in as always really appreciate everybody listening hope you enjoyed that thanks to michael borky for his time always good chopping it up with an old pal about college football Got more for coming for you toward the end of this week, weekend slash next week. Not really sure the schedule yet. Got a couple interviews lined up. And then, of course, we'll get back into the swing of things with Weldon on Sunday and another game week as the Auburn game approaches. So thanks for listening to this podcast, as always. And we'll talk to you real soon.